You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Well, today we're going to get into the Word, um, and so get your Bibles out, get your notepads and pens out, and all those kind of things. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like to sort of um, uh, maybe continue a little bit uh, from last week. So last week I shared uh, from a conference a talk that I did. And in that talk, I talked about how we've been potentially wasting our witness, that the church is supposed to give witness in three ways, that we are a political people, that we have a transcendent politic in the kingdom of God, that we are a proleptic people, that we live from the perspective of the future. So uh, we are a proleptic people. And then lastly, that we are a prophetic people, that we are supposed to speak truth to power and that we are supposed to um, speak hope to the oppressed. And um, what I want to do today is I want to sort of continue a little bit of a thought and maybe help us understand how do we do this. And so if I was to t- title today's uh, message, I would title it this, Hope-Filled Imagination. Hope-Filled Imagination. Now, let me ask you a question. Probably most of you have experienced this, but let me ask you anyways. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Have you ever had a moment where the wind was knocked out of you? I'm sure most of us in the room have had one of these moments. Now, I was thinking about this the very first time that it happened to me. I, I remember that first time. I mean, some of the details are a little bit fuzzy, like I'm not even sure what caused me to have the wind knocked out of me. I think I was on a uh, BMX bike and I think I hit a jump and maybe overly pulled and landed on my back, knocked the wind out of myself. Um... But what I remember very, very clearly, um, more than anything else, was that very first time that I had the wind knocked out of me, I thought for sure I was going to die. There I was laying in the gravel on my back. I had made it to seven years old. I had hoped maybe that I could learn how to drive a car, maybe someday get married. But here I was at seven and my whole entire life up to that point is flashing before my eyes. I'm thinking to myself, what will they say about me at my funeral? I've barely even lived. I can't drive a car. I can't even ride a bike apparently. And so I'm laying on the ground and I am writhing in pain and I am doing everything that I can to try to catch a breath, but no breath is coming. And I also remember that I compounded the problem because in great panic, I jumped up to my feet, still gasping for air, and ran into my parents' house, probably 50 50 yards or so, into the house, down the hallway, um, and I went to go knock on the bedroom door of my parents, and before I could knock on the door, I passed out in the hallway because I had no oxygen. I had knocked the breath out of me. Now, what a horrible, tragic experience. And in case you're wondering, I I definitely did survive. I'm I'm here today, so I, I made it through this situation. 
But I've been thinking about that and I feel like this 2020 year that we're in and the things that are happening around us, this election season that's already uh, filled with all kinds of angst and frustration, um, the racial unrest and tension that we're sensing, the riots and protests, um, COVID-19, this pandemic that we're involved in, all these things, sometimes life can feel like it's knocked the wind out of us. Sometimes it can feel like there is just no oxygen left in life. Like we're just trying to catch a breath. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Just trying to maybe catch a break. I think that the poet Sarah Kay uh, captures this thought pretty well about life. She says, life will hit you hard in the face. Wait for you to get back up just so it can kick you in the stomach. But getting the wind knocked out of you is the only way to remind your lungs how much they like the taste of air. And that's the truth. Sometimes we need moments where it's a little bit difficult. There's a little bit of pressure in our lives to remind us how much we love to live, how much we love the air how much we love to breathe in these things. Now, these very moments that we experience, that most of us have experienced, is why I believe that we need a hope-filled imagination. You know, life has maybe punched us in the face. Life has maybe kicked us in the gut. We may feel overwhelmed by what's going on around us. Like we can't catch up. We can't catch a break. We can't catch our breath. We can't seem to find moments to rest. These are the times where it is so important that we have a hope-filled imagination. Why? Life isn't always going to be easy. Life isn't always going to make sense. And when it's not easy and when it's not making sense, we must have an imagination about what God is doing in this world and in us that's filled with hope. The scriptures tell us that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's not that God makes all things happen to us, but that God, that God can take all things that are happening to us and make them work for our good. Meaning we have to have an imagination of God working on our behalf for our good in this world. We need a hope-filled imagination. You're going to hear me say that over and over and over again. I want that to be dropped into your spirit this morning. We need a hope-filled imagination. The world needs a hope-filled imagination. We need it to inform our souls of what can be, to inform our souls of what will be, not just what is. Too often we get so caught up in what is. We get so caught up in our uh, news sources. We get so caught up in our social media feeds. We get so caught up in what is going on around us that we can't, we can't seem to break out and imagine what can be, what indeed will be. And so we need a hope-filled imagination to inform our souls of what will be, what can be. 
Now, the very fact that we need hope implies that things are not as they should be. We need hope because things are broken. Things are not as they should be. There's brokenness in the world. And so hope helps us reimagine life as it could be and indeed reimagine life as it should be. Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope, now think about that for a moment. May the God of hope, our God is a God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you may overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Hope is the oxygen for our souls. Hope is the oxygen for our souls. So I want to encourage you this morning, breathe in deeply hopeful kingdom expectation. Take a moment, just settle your heart, settle your mind, and breathe in deeply hopeful kingdom expectation. Hope is the oxygen of our souls. Now, I want to talk about two types of hope this morning, just real briefly. First Peter chapter 3 verse 15 tells us that we should honor Christ and let him be Lord of your life. He goes on to say, always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. Honor Christ, let him be the Lord of your life. Always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. So now this is where we get the idea of apologetics, right? A defense of the faith, apologia. When someone asks you about your hope, you should be able to give answer. You should be able to defend your hope. And of course, it tells us to do that with grace um, in a kind and gentle way. But here's what's being implied in the scripture, if you're not catching it, that there should be a demonstration of hope in our lives that others who don't have the same hope would look at, look at us and ask, why is it that you have hope in this moment? How is it that in 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, you can be at peace? How can you have joy? How could you have some sort of hope when everything that we see seems to be hope? less. And Peter tells us that we should be ready in those moments, that when people see the hope that we have, this probably unreasonable hope that we have, we should be ready to give an answer to these people about the hope we have. So two types of hope. The first one is this. We all have individual hope or we should have individual hope. That is this, the hope that each of us have, an individual hope. Hebrews 6, 19, we've used the scripture uh, for hope assembly over the years. And it is this, the verse part says, we have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Now, we know in the context of Hebrews chapter 6 here that the writer of Hebrews is re referring to Jesus Christ, that this hope that we have is in Jesus that we all have an individual and personal hope, which is Jesus, who is the lover of our souls and our promised salvation. Matter of fact, verse 18, just above verse 19, tells us that we should hold fast 
to the hope that is before us, that we should hold fast to this hope that we have as individuals that is placed in Jesus, the God of hope, our promised salvation. So this individual hope that we have, it anchors our souls. Not only does it anchor our souls, but it is strong, the scripture says. It is trustworthy. It is a faithful anchor for our souls. That when when we uh, hold fast to this hope, we hold fast to this anchor, we can be sure that the storms of life will not have victory over us if we hold on. This individual hope also provides for us peace in the midst of chaos. It provides for us joy in the midst of trouble or perspective in the midst of pain. This is why if people see us in the middle of the turmoil, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of the struggle, the chaos, the things that are happening around us, and they see that we still are hopeful, that we still have joy, that we still have peace that surpasses all understanding, joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. What will they do? They say, what is this joy that you have? What is this peace that you have? What is this hope that you have? And we can say, we are holding fast to Jesus Christ our hope, an anchor, strong, trustworthy anchor for our souls. This is what this individual hope does for us, this hope of salvation. R.C. Sproul said it like this, hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty, hold fast to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. Let me say that again. Rather, it is that which latches on, that which holds fast to the certainty. Certainty. We talked about this last week about being proleptic people, that we are so certain about the expected end. We're so certain about what God is going to do. We live as if it's already done today, right? Latches on, holds fast to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. That brings me to the second kind of hope. So we have this individual hope. And then secondly, we have what I'm sort of calling this universal hope. So an individual hope, the hope that we have, and then this universal hope. And I would call that the hope that we give, the hope that we should give. Now, the best place to find this kind of hope, this kind of universal hope that we can give to other people is to go to the very end of the story, the very end of the biblical canon and read what it what it looks like when all is said and done. As Sproul said, the promises of the future that God has made. Well, Revelations 21 verses 1 through 5 tells us about the future that God has made. It says this, John, the revelator on the island of Patmos, as he's wrapping up this revelation of Jesus Christ, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the four things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, listen to this, behold, I am making all things new. Breathe in deeply, hopeful kingdom expectation. This is our hopeful kingdom expectation. This is the expected end of the hope that we have. This is what we long for. This is what all of creation is groaning for. The scripture says that creation's on its tiptoes waiting for the manifestation of the sons of man. This is that moment when all things are made new. This is the promise that we have in the resurrection. When death dies, the resurrection declares to us that death no longer has its final say, that we are a resurrection people. And that we believe, we talked about this last week, that the resurrection has started a revolution. That the resurrection was the inauguration of God's kingdom. And we're waiting for the full consummation of God's kingdom. But as we wait, the kingdom of God is still breaking forth in our lives right now. And we are to participate in the hope of this already not yet kingdom. Oh, Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is this universal hope that we should be giving, that there is an expected end, that there is a day that is coming when all things will be made new again, where death finally dies, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. This is the kind of hope that we lean into, that we live from. This is the kind of hope that should fuel our imaginations about what God wants to do right here and right now. This universal hope is that God is working to make all things new. So we imagine hope for, for this world from that perspective. Right? When we want to have our hearts, our souls, our minds filled with hope, with our imaginations filled with hope, we should continually go back to this expected end and, and allow that to be the perspective by in which we form our imaginations of what hope looks like today. This universal hope is that God is working to make all things new. So we imagine hope for this world from that perspective and we co-labor with God to bring this hope into reality right now. Now, stick with me here. James tells us in James 2.17 that faith without works is dead. And the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer declares to us in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Therefore, follow me here. Therefore, our faith is the substantive outworking of our hope. Faith without works is dead. Faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for. 
Therefore, our faith is the substantive outworking of our hope. Or you could say it like this. Our works of faith reveal our living hope. Our works of faith reveal our living hope. Why? Because faith is the handles. It's the substance of what our imaginations are filled with. What is our hopeful expectation? Whatever that hopeful expectation is, is what we will work for in faith. Now, we know that our works do not produce for us salvation. No, we work because we are saved. We don't work to be saved. We work because we have been saved. And because of the joy of our salvation, we now co-labor with God for the sake of his kingdom. And those works are demonstrating the faith that we have. And the faith that we have is a revelation of the kind of imaginative hope that we have in our hearts. What kind of revelation do we have about this hope of the kingdom of God? This sort of hope that God will wipe away every tear, that, God, that death will be no more, that there will not be any more mourning or crying or pain or suffering, but that God is making all things new. He's doing it even right now. All things are moving to the garden again. In the garden in Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned and were separated from God. Death set in, which meant a separation from God. And all the way from the garden, God has been working to bring us back to the garden again, to a place where God will be our God and we will be his people, where he will dwell with us and be his people, that God will be with us as his God. This whole new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, this is what our imaginations should be filled with in regards to hope. The expected end, this is where God is taking us, and let's work today towards this idea in our world. So when we see hunger, what do we do to work towards eradicating hunger? When we see thirst, what do we do to work towards eradicating thirst? When we see oppression, what do we do to work towards eradicating oppression? Turning things on its head, taking brokenness and binding up again. So the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the systems that are oppressing people being broken down, the kingdom of God breaking forth in people's lives. Our works of faith reveal our living hope. This hope that we give. If all of this is true, I believe that it is, may our imaginations be filled with an abundance of hope that expresses itself in faithful service to the world calling her, calling the world into the resurrection life of the kingdom where God is making right all wrongs and making all things new. We need a hope-filled imagination. Breathe in deeply this hopeful kingdom expectation that we read about in Revelations 21. And let's live from this hopeful expectation. Let's live with this hope-filled imagination. Let's engage our community, our neighbors, even our enemies with this hope-filled imagination. Me, 
wrap it up with this quote. It's a long quote. I've read it before from Michael F. Byrd, but I think it's a powerful quote. So let me read it to you. It says this, hope is not optimism. Rather, hope is the audacity of faith under adversity. Hope is the cheering in triumph for what others deem a lost cause. Hope expiates the misery of life. Hope is currency in the land of melancholy. Hope is the dancing when the music has long ceased. Hope is the bread for the soul that is starved. Hope is the voice that whispers to us that all things are possible. Hope is the grace to face our fears, knowing that there is someone greater than the sum of all our fears. Hope holds out a light rather than curses the dark. Hope is the physician of the terrified soul. Hope is the hero of the weak. Hope is defiance in the face of the tyrant. Church, I want to encourage you today. Let us be a people who have hope filled imaginations and let us co-labor with the kingdom from that place of hope. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts for the things that stir your hearts. Break our hearts for the things that break your hearts. May we be a people whose imaginations are filled with unreasonable hope. Well, imaginations being filled, overflowing with the hope of the kingdom of God, breaking forth into our world, even now, making all things new, restoring relationships, repairing breaches, setting captives free, uh, preaching the gospel to the poor, overthrowing oppressive systems and governments for the sake of your glory. May your light break forth and shine in us, God. May the world see this sort of hope that we have. And may we be a people who have the ability to speak to and declare this hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, before you go, let me say this prayer over you, this blessing over you. I don't have it written down, so this is all from memory. So be gracious to me. But the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord shine upon you and give you peace. That's kind of it. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.